We are in the last day of being a purple church, and we've been using Paul's letter to the Philippians. Throughout this series, we turn to the fourth chapter, and we actually will begin, I know he just put the words up, but we'll begin that in a minute. Um, But let's first begin with a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, continue to bless us with yourself, who you are in the midst of the world in which we live, and how we should be in that same world. Continue to form us and shape us that our hearts and minds might be yours and our wills might be yours. Help us to seek that which is greater than ourselves each and every day. Let your word fall upon us today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been in this series, and we've been talking about the state of our world, its divisiveness and conflictedness and chaos, about how it feels like you have to be fully and completely in on one side of an issue or the other. Can't have questions about it. I mean, if you're not fully and completely on one side, the right side, whatever that side may be, if you're not fully and completely there, then you must be a traitor to the cause and or wishy-washy or weak. How we've whittled our humanity down to for or against. And no matter what side you fall on, your job is to prove the other side wrong. That's the goal. That's our world. It is conflicted and divisive and riddled with anxiety and fear. The thing is, though, that like many churches, this church has people from all sides and half a side and all kinds of places. But rather than think of that as a weakness or a barrier or a problem that needs to be fixed, we have instead felt called to look at it as a strength, as God's gift to us that we might actually grow up together in Christ our Lord. And so for the past number of weeks, we have been talking about and looking at ourselves and how we behave, how we relate to others. Rather than focus all our time on, on other people and how they behave, as fun as that is, and it is fun we've instead decided to take on the hard work of looking at ourselves. How we behave. How we act. How we posture ourselves in the world. And we've been using five character traits that a guy by the name of Edwin Friedman, of whom I'm a fan, coined. He said... Anxious families or societies tend to exhibit these five traits. 
these five behavior patterns. They react, they herd together in like groups, they blame, they look for the quick fix rather than long-term solutions, and they lose and become weak in leadership as a result. I would suggest that for a long time now our world has been in that place. <clears throat> so if we're going to be, be if we're going to look at ourselves and how we behave, then we need to be ruthless about that commitment. To be ruthless about monitoring how we act, how we relate, react to other people in the situations we find ourselves in, to be ruthless about that. And in fact, I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to tell the Philippians in our reading from chapter 4 today. He starts off by saying this. He's been giving advice and he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I long, it's not what's up there, whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Then he goes on, I urge you, Dia, and I urge Sintich to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life, and we'll stop there for a second. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how there was a conflict going on in the Philippian church, but we're not quite sure what that conflict was, but certainly it included the one that Paul just mentioned. He had two strong leaders in the church who were struggling. That's why he says to Judea and Sintich to be of the same mind, because he goes on, they are struggling. They were, they were disagreeing. They did not see things the same way. It was important enough for Paul to actually mention it, and that's the thing. That's the deal. He mentions it. He makes it known. He puts it on the table. He doesn't avoid it. Rather than avoid the anxiety of dealing with the problem and acting like everything's just all fine, if we just, just all look fine, then everything will be fine, he instead addresses it head on. He puts it out front and center. He does what every leader should do. And then, of course, you think that he's going to go on and put them in their place, right? That's what you kind of expect. After all, this is Paul we're talking about. He is not mess around. But he doesn't. I mean, you think he's just going to, you know, tell them who's right and who's wrong and put them in their place. It's all their fault. They're being childish. But he doesn't. He says this instead. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rather than blame, rather than tell them which side they should be rallying behind so that they can prove the other side wrong, rather than look for quick fixes or anything like that, he 
instead invites them to be leaders, to help. He points them to the one thing above all else that they can trust. He's trying to calm them down, to lower their anxiety by pointing them to the one thing above all else that they can trust. Don't worry about anything, he says. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. He's trying to calm them down. That's what he's trying to tell them. That's what he's trying to tell us. When you find yourself in a conversation with someone that does not see things the same way you do, not even remotely so, and you start talking about that thing that you'd just rather not talk about because you know you completely diverge on it, and there it goes, and the conversation goes that way, and you're starting to, you get this feeling, right? You get this unease. It's a feeling of feeling threatened. You feel threatened. And, and you try to prove, right? You try to prove. That's the pattern. How would you act differently if instead in that very second you were able to back off and to remind yourself that there is in fact a calm that is larger than the moment, larger than your feelings, larger than whatever is going on right here, that there is a calm above all of that, in which you can place your trust, would it change how you acted? It's what Paul is trying to get them to see. He's trying to calm them down, to remind them of a calm that's larger than the moment. The Lord is near, he says. That's why he says it. Edwin Friedman points out that in chronically anxious families, groups, societies, one thing is always true. It's universal. Doesn't matter if culture, doesn't matter. Universal. When a, when a, when a family is anxious, a group is anxious, it, it lacks someone who is able to remove themselves from the reactive, hurting, blaming, quick fix behavior patterns that the group is pressuring them to be part of. It lacks that. We see it all the time. We see it in politicians. It's not their fault. It's part of the system. It's not their fault. What's the first thing a politician wants to do after they get elected? Get reelected. That's the first thing. Someone told me after the early service that they did a study and they spend 40, 60, 40 or 60% of their time, it's one of the two, still high, getting reelected. That's crazy. And it sets up this pattern of, of what what's your goal if your goal is to get reelected? It's to appease. It's to appease as many people as possible and your decisions become based on that. Rather than do the right thing, our elected officials try to appease as many groups as possible. Why? Because their goal is to get reelected. It's part of the. It's and we're all part of that. You will often hear them complain if they get really honest. They will say this: 
They will say, no matter what stand I take on an issue, I will inevitably have some group that comes into my office ranting and raving about the stand I took. Right. Guess what? That's leadership. <laughs> it's leadership. Sorry. Rather than do the right thing, they'll often do the thing that appeases the most people. Parents are the same way. Parents, of which I am one, What do we do? Rather than deal with the anxiety of doing the right thing, we will often simply appease our kids just to get through the day. We do it. Paul is trying to combat this tendency in the Philippians. He's trying to do so by reminding them that there is a calm that is bigger than that. The Lord is near, he says. Trust me. Which is what leads him to be able to say what he finally tells them. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The short of all of that that he is saying to them, be ruthless. Be ruthless. When it came to relationships, Paul was ruthless. When it came to faith and people and how we are to posture ourselves with one another, relate to one another, he was ruthless. Ruthless. And he's inviting them to do the same. Continue to do what you have seen and heard and learned and received in me, he says. Well, what have they seen and heard? Well, they've seen and heard how to be in a relationship with God. What that looks like. What they've seen and heard and learned and received in Him is how what, what it looks like to be in a relationship with God and what it looks like to be in relationship with one another. When it comes to relationships, people, faith, Paul is ruthless. He doesn't change who he is in order to be in a relationship with someone else. It is precisely part of who he is that allows him to do that. He exhibits what it looks like to believe and place your trust in the calm that is bigger than the moment. You want to know what this whole thing's about? Entire thing, start to finish. I can sum it up in one phrase. Whole series, everything we've been talking about, it boils down to one thing and one thing only. And that's this. The ability to feel safe. The ability to feel safe. That's it. Think about how you act when you feel safe. When people feel safe, They tend to be calm and confident. 
They tend to think clearly and logically. People, the things that other people do aren't as aggravating. Why? Because they feel safe. Things are good when we feel safe. When we don't feel safe, we react. We herd together in safe groups. We blame to try and get feeling safe again. We want quick fixes instead of long-term solutions. We lose our ability to lead when we don't feel safe. Our world becomes divided and conflictive, chaotic, anxious when we don't feel safe. Paul is reminding us of what it's like to be safe, to believe that, to know what, what it's all about. When Paul talks about putting trust in the Lord, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about being safe. When Paul mentions things like a peace that passes all understanding, he is talking about being safe, feeling safe. From the very first word to the very last line of the Philippians, Paul had one goal and one goal only, and that is to try and convince them to try to shovel it into their brains, to try to pour it into their hearts that they are safe with God. We are safe. With God, you are safe. The world's not always safe. Life's not always safe. People, other people aren't always safe. But we are safe with God. And because we are safe with God, we are able to stay connected with the world. The Lord is near. Trust me. Do me a favor, would you? Keep working on removing yourself from the reactive, blaming, hurting, quick-fix patterns that dominate our world. If you can do even a smidgen of that, then that's one more person that's moving in the right direction. After all, relationships are our thing. That's what we do. That's why we're here. That's why God created us in the first place. That's our purpose, relationships. That's why we're here. The prophets of the Old Testament talk about it. Jesus used to teach about it. He lived his life for it, ended up dying for it. In Jesus Christ, we're not just reconciled to God. We are also reconciled to one another. So when you find yourself in a conversation that feels threatening, realize that it's just your feelings, that there is a calm above the moment. Remember that you are safe with God so that when it comes to people, when it comes to faith, when it comes to relationships, You can be ruthless. That's what being a purple church is all about. It's something that our world desperately needs.
Amen.